Section 10 of Revolution and Other Essays by Jack London. Published 1910. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 10. Foma Gordiev by Jack London. What, without asking, hither hurried whence? And, without asking, whither hurried hence? Oh, many a cup of this forbidden wine must drown the memory of that insolence. Fomogordiev is a big book. Not only is the breadth of Russia in it, but the expanse of life. Yet, though in each land, in this world of marts and exchanges, this age of trade and traffic, passionate figures rise up and demand of life what its fever is. In Fomogordiev, it is a Russian who so rises up and demands. For Gorky, the bitter one, is essentially a Russian in his grasp on the facts of life and in his treatment. All the Russian self-analysis and insistent introspection are his. And, like all his brother Russians, ardent, passionate protest impregnates his work. There is a purpose to it. He writes because he has something to say which the world should hear. From that clenched fist of his, light and airy romances, pretty and sweet and beguiling, do not flow but realities, yes, big and brutal and repulsive, but real. He raises the cry of the miserable and the despised, and in a masterly arraignment of commercialism, protests against social conditions, against the grinding of the faces of the poor and weak, and the self-pollution of the rich and strong in their mad lust for place and power. It is to be doubted strongly if the average bourgeois, smug and fat and prosperous, can understand this man, Foma Godiev. The rebellion in his blood is something to which their own does not thrill. To them it will be inexplicable that this man with his health and his millions could not go on living as his class lived, keeping regular hours at desk and stock exchange, driving close contracts, underbidding his competitors, and exulting in the business disasters of his fellows. It would appear so easy, and, after such a life, well-appointed and eminently respectable, he could die. Ah, Fomo would interrupt rudely, he is given to rude interruptions. If to die and disappear is the end of these money-grubbing years, why money-grub? And the bourgeois whom he rudely interrupted will not understand, nor did Mayakin understand as he labored wholly with his wayward godson. Why do you brag? Foma burst out upon him. What have you to brag about? Your son, where is he? Your daughter, what is she? Ah, you manager of life, come now, you're clever. You know everything. Tell me why do you live? Why do you accumulate money? Aren't you going to die? Well, what then? And Mayakin finds himself speechless and without answer, but unshaken and unconvinced. Receiving by heredity the fierce, bull-like nature of his father, plus the passive indomitableness and groping spirit of his mother, Foma, proud and rebellious, is repelled by the selfish, money-seeking environment into which he is born. Ignat, his father, and Mayakin, the godfather, all the horde of successful merchants singing the paean of the strong and the praises of merciless, remorseless, laissez-faire, cannot entice him. Why, he demands, this is a nightmare, this life, it is without significance. What does it all mean? What is there underneath? What is the meaning of that which is underneath? You do well to pity people, Ignat tells Foma, the boy. Only you must use judgment with your pity. First consider the man. Find out what he is like. What use can be made of him. And if you see that he is strong and capable, help him if you like. But if a man is weak, not inclined to work, spit upon him and go your way. And you must know that when a man complains about everything and cries out and groans, he is not worth more than two kopecks. He is not worthy of pity. 
and will be of no use to you if you do help him such the frank and militant commercialism bellowed out between glasses of strong liqueur now comes mayakin speaking softly and without satire eh my boy what is a beggar a beggar is a man who is forced by fate to remind us of christ he is christ's brother he is the bell of the lord and rings in life for the purpose of awakening our conscience of stirring up the satiety of man's flesh he stands under the window and sings for christ's sake and by that chant he reminds us of christ of his holy command to help our neighbor but men have so ordered their lives that it is utterly impossible for them to act in accordance with christ's teachings and jesus christ has become entirely superfluous to us not once but in all probability a thousand times we have given him over to be crucified but still we cannot banish him from our lives so long as his poor brethren sing his name in the streets and remind us of him and so now we have hit upon the idea of shutting up the beggars in such special buildings so that they may not roam about the streets and stir up our consciences but foma will have none of it he is neither to be enticed nor cajoled the cry of his nature is for light he must have light and in burning revolt he goes seeking the meaning of life his thoughts embraced all those petty people who toiled at hard labor it was strange why did they live what satisfaction was it to them to live on the earth all they did was to perform their dirty arduous toil eat poorly they were miserably clad addicted to drunkenness one was sixty years old but he still toiled side by side with young men and they all presented themselves to foma's imagination as a huge heap of worms who were swarming over the earth merely to eat he becomes the living interrogation of life he cannot begin living until he knows what living means and he seeks its meaning vainly why should i try to live life when i do not know what life is he objects when mayakin strives with him to return and manage his business why should men fetch and carry for him be slaves to him and his money work is not everything to a man he says it is not true that justification lies in work some people never do any work at all all their lives long yet they live better than the toilers why is that and what justification have i and how will all the people who give their orders justify themselves what have they lived for but my idea is that everybody ought without fail to know solidly what he is living for is it possible that a man is born to toil accumulate money build a house beget children and die no life means something in itself a man has been born has lived has died why all of us must consider why we are living by god we must there is no sense in our life there is no sense at all some are rich they have money enough for a thousand men all to themselves and they live without occupation others bow their backs and toil all their lives and they haven't a penny but foma can only be destructive he is not constructive the dim groping spirit of his mother and the curse of his environment press too heavily upon him and he is crushed to debauchery and madness he does not drink because liquor tastes good in his mouth in the vile companions who purvey to his baser appetites he finds no charm it is all utterly despicable and sordid but thither his quest leads him and he follows the quest he knows that everything is wrong but he cannot write it cannot tell why he can only attack and demolish what justification have you in all the sight of god why do you live he demands of the conclave of merchants of life's successes you have not constructed life you have made a cesspool you have disseminated filth and stifling exaltations by your deeds have you any conscience 
do you remember god a five kopeck piece that is your god but you have expelled your conscience like the cry of isaiah go to now ye rich men weep and howl for your misfortunes that shall come upon you is foma's you bloodsuckers you live on other people's strength you work with other people's hands for all this you shall be made to pay you shall perish you shall be called to account for all for all to the last little teardrop stunned by this puddle of life unable to make sense of it foma questions and questions vainly whether of sofia medinsky in her drawing-room of beauty or in the foulest depths of the first chance courtesan's heart Lindboff, whose books contradict one another cannot help him nor can the pilgrims on crowded steamers nor the verse writers and the harlots and dives and boozing kins and so wondering pondering perplexed amazed whirling through the mad whirlpool of life dancing the dance of death groping for the nameless indefinite something the magic formula the essence the intrinsic fact the flash of light through the murk and dark the rational sanction for existence in short foma gordiev goes down to madness and death it is not a pretty book but it is a masterful interrogation of life not of life universal but of life particular the social life of today it is not nice neither is the social life of today nice one lays the book down sick at heart sick for life with all its lyings and its lusts but it is a healthy book so fearful is its portrayal of social disease so ruthless its stripping of the painted charms from vice that its tendency cannot but be strongly for good it is a goad to prick sleeping human consciences awake and drive them into the battle for humanity but no story is told nothing is finished some one will object surely when sasha leapt overboard and swam to foma something happened it was pregnant with possibilities yet it was not finished was not decisive she left him to go with the son of a rich vodka maker and all that was left in sofia medinsky was quickened when she looked upon foma with the look of the mother woman she might have been a power for good in his life she might have shed light into it and lifted him up to safety and honor and understanding yet she went away next day and he never saw her again no story is told nothing is finished ah but surely the story of foma gordiev is told his life is finished as lives are being finished each day around us besides it is the way of life and the art of gorky is the art of realism but it is a less tedious realism than that of tolstoy or turgenev it lives and breathes from page to page with a swing and dash and go that they rarely attain their mantle has fallen on his young shoulders and he promises to wear it royally even so but so helpless hopeless terrible is this life of Fomogodiev that we would be filled with profound sorrow for gorky did we not know that he has come up out of the valley of shadow that he hopes we know else would he not now be festering in a russian prison because he is brave enough to live the hope he feels he knows life why and how it should be lived and in conclusion this one thing is manifest foma gordiev is no mere statement of an intellectual problem for as he lived and interrogated living so in sweat and blood and travail has gorky lived piedmont california november 1901 end of section 10 recording by brian mitchell